Hi, I'm Cody Elaine Oliver. I created the popular Black Love docuseries with my husband after seeing the lack of Black people in media and entertainment in happy, loving relationships. We were actually being told there was a Black marriage crisis. So I asked Black people who were married what it takes to make their marriage work. And after more than 200 interviews, I've heard it all. So buckle up and enjoy getting the full story directly from the couples themselves. This is Black Love, The Interviews. The first time we met, uh, we were in college in Ohio, Bowling Green University. I was a freshman. He was a Playboy sophomore, and uh, he invited me on a date, and then he disappeared. <laughs> that's, not, that's not quite, quite the story. We had a, um, what you call like a student union that the African-American students hung out mm. at called the Raft Scale. We call it the Rat. Black folks call it the Rat for short. And uh, I used to come to the Rat late. I didn't come early. I came late. Like at closing. I came, I came to late. To see who was still there. I, I, came, I came late. And the Rat was uh, on a lower level. You have to walk down these long stairs. So when I, when I walked in the door, I see this woman, a young girl at the time, standing at the bottom of the steps looking up. And I was just smitten. I mean, she was the prettiest girl I'd seen at that point. And I didn't know her. I thought I knew everybody on campus and I didn't know her. And it was turned out to be Monet. And I said something, I don't know what I said, something, you know, to get she, her attention. Right. Something to get her attention and she played me off. And I then investigated. I you know, spent some time trying to figure out who she was. And then I sent a message to her. And uh, she got the message. And we ultimately took a long time. We ultimately got together. And I don't think we had a date. I think we just got together and talked. Well, you invited me to a couple fraternity things. And then I think the moment where I knew he was serious, I was really sick. And uh, he brought me this uh, single flower that I think he picked off the yard, and it was in like a aftershave bottle. Aqua velva bottle. <laughs> and he brought this to my dorm, and it's like, okay, maybe he's a keeper. Right. Now that's that's sometime after we met. Right. But, well, a couple uh, months, but yeah. But yeah, I uh, I took her a flower. So look, um, I lived off campus. And so I didn't know uh, I didn't know a lot of the freshmen, particularly the new girls. I mean, a number of guys. We we made a point to try to know the new girls, and I didn't know Monet. So it was uh, it was surprising to me that I had missed her. And so I had a buddy who knew everybody, and I told him I described her, told him where I thought she lived, and I said, "Listen, just get a message to her. I'm the guy that was at the top of the steps that made the spark comment." And I'd like an opportunity to correct the first impression. So that's what it looked like. As she said, I was in a fraternity, and we were having a party. Uh, we were having a party, and, I, and the message, part of the message was, if you give me another chance to introduce myself, I'd also like you to consider coming to the party with me. 
Well, I'm going to say we started doing things together. Like, you know, we were in school, so it was kind of an easy, you didn't have a lot of distractions. So we went to the library, became study partners. He watched soap operas with me. Uh, we did little adventures. We were in a really small town right. in the middle of farmland, so there wasn't a lot to do. And, but he had a car, so we'd go on adventures, and we discovered a lake, and we'd go to the park. And we just started talking and knowing each other as people. And one of the most memorable things to me is we both grew up in the church, and we went to this United Methodist Church in town. And uh, the fact that here's a man that just didn't want to date you and romance you, but also went to church with you, I think. So as we started seeing more and more commonalities, uh, I think one of the things that attracted me is like, you know, both of my parents were living, so I saw a two-parent marriage. Both of his parents were living and his grandmother and her husband. And so we had very similar backgrounds, even though, you know, initially I thought, Mm, so totally different from me. But once you start talking and really talking about what's important to you and each other as people, then we thought, oh, all this other stuff is surface. And so what's really important is like those core things that connect you. And I think, you know, we're both in school, so we're both interested in education. We're both pursuing a career. We both came from strong families where family was important. So he took me to meet his family and I took him to meet my family. And we just kind of built a relationship that led to marriage. I, I, I see it slightly, yes. slightly different. Slightly different. My memory is slightly different. So first of all, um, my outward appearance at the time was very different than her interpretation initially of who I was. You know, the big fro, long leather coats. You know, I was a president of Black Student Union. I was very involved in establishing the Black Student Union on campus. And at that time, that was very controversial among African-American or Black students. And less students at that time still called themselves a Negro. And I think that, that there were two things happening with us. One, I think Monet found me intriguing, not necessarily likable, but intriguing. I found her challenging because the more I got to know her, the more I appreciated the person she was, but I didn't think she was seeing past her reaction to my exterior. And I can remember sitting in the, uh, at the parking lot of your dorm and Monet says to me, well, what are you gonna do with your future? And I remember saying, well, I'm going to graduate school, of course. And she started laughing, right? Because I don't think at that point, she knew how serious a student I was. Even though we studied together, et cetera, I think her, interpret her, her view of me was disconnected to reality. I think where things changed was when we really got to know each other and we found out that regardless, uh, in spite of our differences, uh, in appearance at that time, uh, we were very similar and we had, we had common values. And there were a lot of things we liked together. We particularly liked adventure. As she pointed out, I had a car and we would do stuff. Like I, I've always loved travel. And so I would find, Ohio had wineries, right? And we'd drive to a winery and, uh, and drink cheap wine. Uh, <laughs> we'd do stuff, you know, we'd go to, uh, up to Michigan and take the train to Toronto, hang out on Young Street. You know, we just, we were very, we loved, we traveled, we still travel well together. We both love travel. And so I think what, what happened was a lot of people, I think, you know, do the same thing. You, you meet someone 
and you immediately react to their exterior. I reacted to her beauty. I love beautiful women. And Monet at that time, still is, but was the most beautiful woman I'd met on campus. And to be honest, it was surface. I was reacting to her looks. She reacted to me. I think I was fun, you know, I think. But after we got past that and we talked and we spent time together, you know, we both were spiritual. We both liked the same things. We both were serious about our community. And there were things that bound us together that were way greater than the, the initial surface attraction. Uh, how long did it take for us to decide we wanted to spend the rest of our lives together? I think uh, Clarence got there a lot quicker than I did. I remember, I think it was the beginning of my sophomore year. We started hanging out the end of my freshman year. And he came back and it was like October. And he says, I want to tell you something. And it's like, okay, what? He says, I love you. And then I remember freezing on the inside saying, love? Am I ready for love? I'm not sure I'm there yet. And so that's my memory. And then we just spent more time together and I just start falling in love. I think I fell in love before I fell into commitment. I really liked Monet. When I was, wasn't with her, I would miss her. And at the time I was an officer in a fraternity. I had a job uh, managing the cafeteria in one of the dormitories. And I started working less and less. Uh, I gave up my uh, role in the fraternity as an officer because I wanted to spend the time with her. And that's when I started realizing, man, there's something going on here. So I fell in love, but I wasn't at the point of wanting to make a lifelong commitment. I think it was right around the time of Kent State when the, the students were killed at Jackson State and Kent State and the Vietnam War was going on. There was a lot of uncertainty about what was happening in America, what was happening on campuses, what was happening in the black community. And I think at that point, I got a lot more serious in general about everything. And I, I had Monet in my life. I was in love with her. And at that point, I started to believe that this was the woman that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. Let's see, we were 22 when we got, I was 22 when we got married. So was I 21 then when I, so 22, wait, wait I was see, my birthday is in June. Yeah, yeah. Right around 22, right, very young, a baby. I mean, I remember telling my mother, my mother was like, what are you gonna do with a wife? <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, kind of the rest is history. It was a great decision. We had our first child um, early in the marriage. Uh, I had graduated, I was teaching, we were both had moved to Toledo where my family was, and uh, we had our first child. Just so two years, two years, two into, years the marriage. into the marriage. Yeah. So you went from being just the two of you? <laughs> to three of us? To three of us, right. Yeah. How was that? First of all, it was, it was exhilarating. It was, uh, I had a girl, you know, now I had two women that I, that I loved. And um, I think the fact that her parents lived mm -hmm. in uh, Toledo and where we were renting at the time was not far from them. So we had a support, because we both worked. And so we had support from her family. And our daughter was born in May. Right. And Monet was teaching school, so she had the summers off. So it was kind of perfect time. She had the first three, four months with, you know, with Sonia. 
And uh, you know, it was exciting. You know, I think, again, I think it, for, for me, it, it accelerated my maturity. You know, I started thinking, I gotta really take care of business. Now I got a baby, I got a wife. You know, my parents were part of that Southern migration and my dad always preached this notion of, you know, a man, he gets a wife, a house, a child, an insurance policy, and a, a job and a hustle. And so, you know, you gotta take care of your family. And so, you know, kind of in my mind, okay, I got a, I got a wife, I got a child, I got an insurance policy, it'll be a term, I got an insurance policy, and uh, I gotta go do what a man does now. And, you know, in reality, um, I think we were, we were kind of making it up as we were going along. I mean, we were kids. Um, we were kids, and so from my standpoint, and, and I don't think my parents were necessarily my, my roadmap for it. I think Monet and I were making it up together as we went along. But I think because we were young and it was part of what we were going through, it was just, it wasn't like, oh, we're in our careers, do we wait four years, 10 years, you know, to have children? It's because we were young and things just kind of happened and it seemed natural and we embraced it. And our daughter, she went on our adventures with us. So it right. was great, you know. Yeah. And I think it made it easier because yeah. you didn't know as much. So when you know more, you kind of hesitate and say, well, should we be doing this or this or this? And we just did it and it unfolded and it worked out. Then we kept traveling. We take our daughter, we drop her off with my parents in Cleveland, borrow my parents' car, drive off somewhere, drop her with her parents, take her with us. You know, we, uh, we you know, we made it work. So getting married, having children, doing it all, it really wasn't easy. I mean, there are a lot of challenges. I think for me, though, because I had made this commitment to this man that it was like, you know, you have your parents saying, well, you should be thinking about doing this and his parents saying this. And we were exploring some different things. And it's like just deciding that this is about us and not love my family dearly, love his family dearly. But at some point, I think the real growth in relationship is saying it's about us. And then even though there are people who are questioning and challenging what you're doing, you still got to say, this is what we want to do. This is our journey. So one of the things that happened with us early on is I was super ambitious. So we were like, I don't know, married. Our daughter was three and he decides that he wants to move out of Ohio to DC to go to law school at Howard. And my dad at the time was, um, very, very ill, and I was very close to my family, especially my dad, I didn't want to leave, but it's sort of like, this is what I need to do to continue the path that we're on, and so, you know, we moved. And it, that was all very scary, unsure, because he was in school, so now I'm the number one breadwinner in the family, and we just trusted that, you know, God had a plan for us, and we weren't always sure every step on the path, but we were just sure that together, we would just go and explore and see what happened. So, so I, I would say um, that yeah, we had a lot of fun because we were kids, kids have fun. But the challenges that come with building a family together clearly came and they came in delayed timeline. So, you know, when you're young and you get married and you're just fascinated with each other, you're having fun and money's not important. You know, you go to the campus movies and that's fine. 
your problems are, are coming. You know, Monet mentioned separating from her family. One of our initial challenges was, or we were living in Toledo where her family is. She's come from a, she's from a very close-knit family, very close-knit. And initially, even though it was great having them there to support, to help with our daughter, that came with strings. And the strings are, you guys are young, uh, we don't really know Clarence that well, so we're going to, in this is my opinion, you're going to exercise a certain amount of control over your, your life. And I can remember like yesterday, uh, the first time Monet uh, disagreed with her parents and took my position on something and how important that was to me. Because usually, you know, her, her father's very strong-willed, her mother very strong-willed, great brother, in-law, brothers, uh, brothers and sister-in-laws, but they're all very strong-willed. And they wanted Monet to continue to be a part of that process. You know, I mentioned earlier, you know, I was very militant in my young, young years, and that was a cause of a lot of challenges with my in-laws because of my, my particular beliefs at the time. And I can remember when Monet stood up to her parents and said, no, I'm married to Clarence, this is what we're going to do. And I remember, you know, it took me quite a while to really win uh, the respect and support of my father-in-law, but it happened and we became really, really close friends because he respected the fact that I had a mind of my own. But that caused a lot of, for me, a lot of stress. And I know for her, for her too. But you know, it's funny. Uh, for me, the greatest challenges came, you know, when I turned 30. When, 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 you know, a lot of challenges that young couples have, that married couples have early on, were kind of delayed for us because we jumped into marriage early. But I remember the crisis of not having a job, not knowing where uh, how I was going to support my family. I remember uh, all the financial challenges. I remember almost losing a house. Mm -hmm. um, I remember, you know, having one week to raise the money or we were going to be put on the street. I remember having to hustle to get law school tuition. I, you know, I remember all, we had all of those challenges. So we've had them, uh, we've overcome them, we continue to have them. That's what marriage is, is all about. But I think the fact that we we're lucky in a way that we got married young because we grew up together and we had combined resources and we had a similar belief system. And I think Monet believed in me, you know? It, 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 bottom line is, I think anything that I've been able to accomplish, Monet deserves a huge amount of credit because she believed in me. You know, and at the end of the day, having a woman or, or a man who believes in you and uh, doesn't poo-poo your dreams and is there to support them, you know, means, means the world. And I think that's kind of what has gotten us through the challenges that, you know, that you inevitably are going to have and we continue to have, quite frankly. When uh, Clarence shared his dream about moving to Washington, D.C. and going to Howard, I was really conflicted and torn because my career, even though new, was taking off. I was getting ready to become the director of this high school in Ohio. And as I, my father was very sick, I was very close to my family. It was all very scary. And you know, there's a funny story that comes with this because we'll, we'll talk about it. We won't talk about it. Not but now. anyway, um, 
not only was I going to, I had a job offer, but I was teaching in public school and this job offer was from a school for the deaf. I knew nothing about deaf people other than my grandmother used to teach at a school for the deaf in Mississippi. And I didn't know her because she died when I was four. So it's like, mm. so they sent me a ticket. I flew to DC. They were so nice. It was a new campus and overlooked the Capitol. And I thought, you know what? It's a new experience. We've been on these magical journeys this far. I'm going to trust this guy and it's all going to work out. And in the back of my mind, I thought, three years, I can go back to Ohio. And of course, once you leave Ohio and go to DC, it's like, you're never going back. back. So, uh, you know, it was scary. I was torn. I was really upset because my father was dying at the time. And, but it worked. It was horrible timing. I mean, uh, her dad, who was a wonderful, wonderful man, uh, was, as she said, he was dying. And he, he, this was one of his favorite, I won't say his only favorite daughter, was only one of his favorite daughters. And the thought that I was a part of a process moving her across country from him. But I went to him and talked to him about it. And he gave me his blessings and was very proud of me for having the ambition. And I can remember verbatim the discussion we had. I, re I remember it verbatim. And um, we moved. And she was the breadwinner. And I, um, I went to Howard and it was tough. It was very, very tough and scary. And there are many times when I questioned whether I made the right, right decision. And, um, you know, after graduating from Howard, I didn't have a job. And so I had to really ask myself the sacrifices that I've had, and we almost lost the house. We, we bought a house. We had a house in Toledo. We sold, well, that's another long story. Right. <laughs> yeah, we didn't sell it. We tried, we thought we were selling it. We didn't sell it. Didn't have the money to buy the new house. We almost lost that. Long story short, we figured it out, make it work. But the challenges were, were huge. And, you know, when I look back on them now, I look at, you know, kind of, we, we joke among ourselves, it's our story. I mean, we have lots of these stories right. uh, where we've had to you know, not know for certain what was right around that next corner. And in spite of it, you know, we, we, we seem to always keep taking these risks. Okay. And as I look back on it, each of these risks, we've survived, we've gotten stronger and uh, more courageous. Because each time you overcome one of these situations, if it doesn't take you out, uh, <laughs> You know, the next time it comes around, you know, you have way more self-confidence. You've seen it before now. And so I think, I like to oh, please, please. Because even though he was kind of struggling because it was a different role for a man, I was having so much fun in this new environment and this new experience. And where I worked was like a family. So I made all these new friends and we had deaf people come over to our house for parties. And so... For me personally, I was kind of soaring and taking a different path that I didn't know I was going to take. So I think, you know, God in his plan, he sprinkles in blessings. So if you stop and you look at what's the blessing that comes with the gift, and then it's like, yeah, so his, his is going to come, get through law school. But, you know, if one of you is happy and the other one's kind of going through things, then you can kind of 
pull that other person along or up until they get to where they need to be. If you're both down and you're dragging each other down, then that's a different story. So luckily for me, I was thriving so I could be there until he finished law school and figured out what he wanted to do. Well, the thing is, in our relationship, I think one of the things that uh, I like best about it is we've been support for each other. In other words, well, let's be totally honest. We went through our period of competition. It's inevitable when you're both professionals. You're not even conscious of it initially that you are, you are trying to meet a role or a perception you have of what a successful man or what a successful woman should be. You're not that conscious when you're young. So we're, we, have the, we have the benefit of looking backwards on, you know, after 46 years of marriage, right? We can look back now and sound very, you know, profound and make, you're not thinking about that when you're, when you're going through it, right? And so, but when looking back, I remember our periods of competition, but I remember how short-lived that period was. Because one of the best things uh, to me about our relationship has been, I think that each of us has always wanted what was best for the other. And that's kind of what has pulled us through it. And I think both of us have strong enough egos and a strong enough sense of ourselves that when you go through that period, it doesn't detract. It doesn't make you less attractive to your spouse. It doesn't make you feel any less of the man she fell in love with or the woman you know, that I fell in love with. And that's the hard part. The hard part is you're going to go through these struggles, right? How do you keep your sense of self? How do you stay beautiful? How do you stay that same person that the person fell in love? You're, you're going to, I mean, I, I know I've been uh, very ugly at periods and times. I had to be when I was going through stuff, right? But when I look back on it, she never made me feel that way. I may have felt it, but it wasn't because she made me feel that way. If anything, she worked hard to make me still feel like the man. I think um, I knew how to do that. It was a combination of things, just watching your parents. And even though when you're young, I watched my parents and they're just parents. But, you know, as you get older and you study the sacrifices, my mom had to make a lot of sacrifices because my dad had been injured, you know, majority of their marriage. So they're physically, he couldn't do a lot of things. And so I watched the silent sacrifices that she made, she just did it. You know, she had kids, she had a husband, she had a family, she just did it, she never complained. And so you, I just found myself, it's just sort of like, you know, you pray, I prayed on it, and then you just do it, you know? And I think um, we spend a lot of time with younger people and trying to get life lessons. And I think one of the things is, you know, Clarence talked earlier about, it's really important that you don't lose yourself and I think in that process, though, people need to understand that if, you know, you're perceived as giving in or I stopped and changed my career path so he could grow and do what he needed to do, that you're losing something. And in reality, there's so much more to be gained if you're just willing to trust that. You don't know what's out there. It's scary. And I wasn't sure, you know, I'm thinking like, I'm going to hate this job. I don't know anything about it. But I ended up thriving, growing, loving it, uh, stayed there for 10 years until we moved again. And that's another story. So it's like, you just gotta be open to change, open to 
believing in yourself. So it's not about everything is, I think we're very sensitive. Everything's about us. And as a couple, part of it is about you, but the other part is about him and then everybody else involved within your life. So you just got to be flexible and say, it's not about this one upsmanship or he's winning this game of marriage. I'm losing this game or vice versa. It's like, when we both win, then we all win. So we've got to support each other and kind of like share that journey. You know, I remember when I thought we were gonna get a divorce. You know, when you no longer want to be around. I remember that period very well. And, um, you know, when I was, uh, I thought everything was going fine. And uh, she, uh, tells me that it's not. And I remember we, uh, we decided to go to marriage counseling and we're sitting there and the counselor says to Monet, well, what do you want? She says, I want him out. I never want to see him again. And, and I'm like, man, I thought everything was going fine. And, um, and I remember moving out and, and I remember thinking that it's going to be impossible to heal this breach. I remember thinking there, you know, there is no strategy that I can think of because first of all, I didn't know <laughs> the breach was that great. So, so how could I fix something when I missed the fact, you know, I missed the fact that she felt that way because we were still, to me, I thought, you know, still having dinner together, still going out, still making love. I mean, I thought everything was cool, right? Man, so now I have to move out, right? And um, I remember thinking, this is, this is it. You know, I gave it my best shot. We had a wonderful, we have a child. I got to figure out how, you know, how to make this work. And Monet got sick and I heard about it. She didn't call me, I heard about it. And I decided to, uh, to, to insist that I come home just to take care of her, not to stay. And not to be together, but to take care of her. And then when I got there, I remember thinking, she doesn't look that sick to me. And she was traveling, going to conferences. And I'm like, man, she's be doing really well without me. And that was very scary. Because I thought I'd come and she'd be broken down and all missing me. Man, she seemed to be doing great. And I really, really, I really thought, okay, you know, uh, this is not going to work. And I stayed and took care of her. She got better, and I never left. Not that she invited me to stay. And I remember even, even when I came back thinking, I don't know that we're ever going to be able to regain what we had. And, uh, and I don't remember how long it took, and I don't remember what we did for it to solve itself, but we eventually got past that. I mean, it is. Lots of stories. How long ago was this? Yeah, wait, how long ago was Oh, that was a long time ago. And um, then I got to hear from you. Okay. <laughs> right. That's just one side of the story. <laughs> that was, our daughter was young. We were like in our mid-20s. Yeah, it was early seven on year itch. I remember thinking it was a seven-year itch. I remember thinking, man, there's something to this seven-year itch. It was seven years into marriage. So it was seven, seven years into it. Okay, so I think for me, I felt like, so Clarence has this, this controlling nature. So here I am being forced to move to the strange city. 
I started a new life and I just felt like I was, I personally was being lost and that so the separation was not so much about the marriage. For me, it was about struggling to survive. Like I needed to find my identity. I needed to find my voice so I could be as strong as he appeared to be for me. And I felt like I was kind of drowning. And so the marriage counselor for me just said, no, maybe you need a break. And then just, and so the break for me really helped our marriage. And I don't really know how we got back together either, but I just needed to, I just felt like I was kind of suffocating and it was his world and I was losing me and my world. And so I just needed to find myself. And that allowed me to find myself. You know, I think, again, we're talking about 46 years and looking back, <clears throat> there's no question that when I got married, I had this notion of what was the role of the man? What was I entitled, entitled to do, right? I'm providing, I'm the provider, I'm the king. She's the queen, I got this little princess, and I got a prince coming. And I had this very, remember now, you know, this is after, you know, civil rights movement. And as I said, I was very involved in, 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 in the black power movement. And I was like, this is what, I'm the king. This is what I, you know, and I didn't, I wasn't conscious of what it was doing to her, to suffocate her. So it was some years before I grew to a point where I could let go of all of that. You know, it, 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 it took me years to grow into an understanding of for this marriage to be all that I want and for her to be all that she can be, I've got to change. I've, I've got to realize that I'm carrying around a lot of baggage, a lot of ideas that are societal or from the community or from stuff I've read or stuff I believed. Uh, that is not working for her. And, and had she not kicked me out, I don't know. And, and it's still, when I came back, I still wasn't there. This, I mean, when I say I, it took me years to grow, it took me years to be able to really appreciate what a true partnership should, be, should look like. You know, I could, I could articulate it. I could, I could, I could spin, spin it. I could explain it, you know. But to say to live it, it, oh, it, it took me a long time. I can remember a, an insecurity that I had. And the way it would play out is, we both like to socialize. And we are the, usually the last people to leave a party. We, we love to talk and meet people and, and talk. And I remember wanting her to think like me, wanting her to believe what I believed. And so if we're at a party, particularly we're at DC, a dinner party, and I'm, you know, I just read the latest op-ed piece that I'm, you know, pontificating. And if she had a different opinion, I would feel very threatened by that. I, I didn't, I wasn't as, as secure as I thought I was. I wasn't secure enough to live with somebody that I loved and allow them, not allow, that's, that sounds like I'm the father, but, but live with someone who, who not only held a different opinion, but felt comfortable publicly disagreeing with me with a different opinion. And I'm saying, and I, and I mean, that was painful to me, you know, because I felt my manhood was threatened. And, and you know, it took me a long time to grow out of that, to get to a point where I realized that if I am going to ever mind the deaths of Monet and really get 
all that she has to give, I gotta know her. I've got to, I gotta be non-judgmental. I gotta be big enough to enjoy her because there's a lot here. I mean, after 46 years, I'm still getting to know Monet. There are still things to behold that uh, I enjoy, that I'm getting, you know. But, but it wasn't always that way with me. I mean, you know, I used to be very, and I call it insecurity looking back at it. And, you know, I don't know what label, I'm not gonna put a label on it. I just know, I, I thought that my wife was supposed to agree with me. And publicly, <laughs> publicly not agree with me. Hey, you, you know, I, that used to drive me nuts, you know. Well, I think uh, early on, I was very quiet. He says they're very social, but I'm very quiet. So he does the majority of the talking. And so I, I think used to do the majority of the talking. Well, I, but I think it's really important that people, couples in particular, have conversations, not bottle it up. One of the things we did when we were young, we would write each other letters and sort of express what you couldn't say to the person, you know, face to face. And so I encourage people to find different means of communicating the feelings, not bottle them up, because I bottled mine up till I reached the point where I thought I was just going to explode. So I recommend that, you know, we spend a lot of time do, actually as couples, not us personally, but in general doing nothing versus um, one of the things I've learned is like, we work very hard on our careers and our professions and we go to class and we stay late and we do the extra so the boss will notice us. But nobody's teaching us that in marriage. You know, it's kind of, we're kind of winging it and making up as we go. And if you watch the movies, the movies always end at happily ever after and they never show you what that looks like. So I think it's like, you have to really just sit down and say, we're gonna have our time and we're gonna talk about what I'm feeling, whether it relates to you or not, because then he gets to understand me on different levels, and then what he's feeling, and then what we're feeling together, and however those feelings are impacting our relationship. So we can say, we need a pause, maybe we need a vacation, maybe you need to go to the spa, maybe we both need counseling, but not to bottle it up, but to figure out ways to share it. And not to feel threatened, like, you know, before I talked about the importance of no one's right and the other person's wrong. It's about different perceptions. So I need you to hear me and see my perception of things. And then I need to be able to do the same thing. And we might reach an agreement and we agree to agree, or I might still be over here and you're over there, but at least it's been heard, it's been aired, and maybe we can come back and revisit it because you're never gonna solve everything at one time. Oh, we need to talk, you know, that those words that nobody wants to hear. And you talk, and so it's still left on the table unresolved, so my thing is you gotta come back to it, and come back to it until you both reach a point where, you know what, I'm good. Mm. We can kinda like, let it go and move on. Mm. You know, you, uh, you asked a question earlier. You, uh, you said, um, you guys make it look like it's just fun and too easy. I think a lot of people look at us that way. And, um, and and there is some truth to it in the sense that for a lot of years we were very, we, we love young people and we love having our, our children's friends over and we love mentoring and we love being around people. And, we're, and, and I have to say we are conscious of the fact that uh, there's a lot of problems in a lot of relationships. And so we are conscious of the fact that we have no reason to air our dirty laundry 
with, with our friends. They got their own, they got enough, right? And so one thing that we're very conscious of, we don't publicly argue with each other and we don't, we, we don't do those things, you know? And it's not that we think we're, you know, better than anybody, it's not that at all. It's that uh, we've tried to be for our children and their friends kind of a, uh, a place of calm. And so with most of our children's friends, they, love, they view us as kind of like second parents. You know, they can hang out here, they can call us when they have problems, and that's a role we cherish. And so part of that is a responsibility, and the responsibility is that when they're here, there's no need to, if, if we're having an argument, we can take that upstairs, right? We don't have to do that, you know, and we talk, and we do talk primarily about the good stuff, unless you asked, right? Because you can get the bad stuff, in spades every day everywhere right exactly. so part of part of talking about the good stuff is that feels good it feels good to us to talk about it i think it feels good for people to hear about it but it doesn't mean you know the bad stuff is i will call it bad the challenging stuff is there very, well, very, I think we're very, very, conscious, very conscious about showing yeah. our kids a realistic picture yeah. of marriage it's a good question. i mean they've seen <laughs> The pretty side, the fun side, the not so pretty side. Uh, my daughter used to say, Mom, Dad, you and Dad used to argue so much when I was little. I just thought either you're going to kill each other or get a divorce. And I'm thinking like, I have no I idea remember, what you're talking about. That, right? It was yeah. like, because it's sort of like, I think the key is you let it out and then you release it, you know. And so, you know, I might scream, but then I'm, I'm done. I've moved on. I'm not coming back to revisit something that happened five days ago or six years ago or whatever, because I'm not, you know, life is full. So I think if you fill your life with meaningful things, you don't really have the time to dwell on. Uh, last week, you said you were going to do whatever and you didn't. And I'm still angry. And like I said, I think we have to talk about it. We don't always talk about it, but I think our kids have seen like... <laughs> All of it. You know, we try to role model good things, but you know, if you're having a real relationship, I think to be honest with your kids, they need to see your pain and they need to see your joy and, and everything that lies in between. And so, you know, if you only show one picture, I think one of the problems with, you know, if you look at statistics is that people have this imaginary image of what marriage is like. Oh, it's gonna be fun, it's gonna be sexy, it's gonna be good times. And nobody's talking about who's doing the laundry, paying the bills. Uh, I don't wanna to go to work today, I'm sick, and I need to stay home, or the baby's sick, and you're both professionals, we have this one a lot. The baby's sick, and he goes, well, I gotta to go to work. It's like, well, as do I, so why do I have to stay home because my title is mommy, and you get to go to work because your title is daddy and you're a professional, I'm a professional. So you have those little things that pop up and you know you share those with the kids. So hopefully they've kind of learned something and they can do a better job. And then we're lucky. We got, you know, yeah, there's, we got there's, 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 well, I'm not talking about the kids but. as much as I'm talking about marriage, there's a, a degree of luck that goes with it, right? So Monet just described her personality as someone who doesn't harbor things. She can let things go. That's not me. I'm the opposite, right? And particularly earlier in marriage. And so fortunately for me, I have someone, and I've learned from her, be honest with you, 
I've learned to, uh, to reduce some of my stress by learning to let things go, not letting the, the small stuff get in the way. But I've learned that from her. I'm, I'm a very, I was always a very different person than her. So there's a degree of luck in the sense that for me, I had someone who balanced out, you know, kind of the yin and the yang uh, piece of it, you know. I don't feel like I've been married 46 years, nor do I probably feel like whatever age I am that I'm that age. And it's because uh, we build a lot of good times into, into our life. Monet uh, is, is not only a beautiful person, she likes creating beauty and I like living in beauty. And so she gives a lot of thought to making my world uh, a, a, a nice place to be. And I think uh, one of the quote secrets, if there is a secret, and it is in your personal space where you live with your spouse, both of you, if you can, but certainly one, should really put in the effort to keep that a special and a sacred place for the two of you. And it should, in my opinion, it should, it should, it should reflect you. It should feel like a place that's yours. And, and I happen to like beauty and flowers and, you know, and I like thank you and I like good morning and I like a kiss and I like breakfast and coffee. And so if you ever let those things go, those are the little things. Those, to me, kind of create the foundation for when the big problems come. There's that. And then the other secret, and I'll let Monet talk. The other secret, I, for me, the other, I won't call it a secret. The other motivator for me as you get older is Monet is really keeping the history of me. You know, I have, a, I, have a, I have a spouse, I have a lover, I have a friend, and if, if, if I were not here, I am really comfortable that my memory and the life I tried to live of, live of significance will be told correctly by her. And you know, that, that's for me, a guy like me, that's critically important, you know, that you didn't just live and die. You know, that somebody thought you were special and important and uh, they cared enough to, to devote their life to you. And you're pretty confident when they tell your story, it's pretty accurate, you know. I don't use the word secret because I think part of the problem with successful, being successful in your marriage is like we kind of have kept marriage a secret and we don't talk about it, we don't share, we do, but for the most part, we don't share with our kids or younger people what marriage is about and what it entails. So I think you have to say, for me, this is what I believe marriage is and what it looks like. And I need to do my part to make that happen. I need to watch and observe others. I need to pray on it. I need to think about what I'm doing to make a relationship work, what he's doing, what we can do together. And I just need to be the role model of the best I can be as wife, mother, a person that's in a relationship. And I think uh, I have to commit to it. Like we commit to everything. You know, we commit to our exercise routine, our job, or whatever the rituals are. And I think to me, marriage is the most sacred ritual 
and commitment that we make. And so we need to honor it and we need to give it the time and the commitment and put all the work and effort that comes with it. And then the fun times, the happiness, the joy happens, but it's not gonna be like, I set my vows, I'm kind of done, you know, next. You've got to work on it. It's a work in progress. So every day I try to do something new, think of um, a different way to bring joy into the relationship to each other. And you do that every day. You don't do it anniversary, birthday, special occasions. Marriage is a journey that lasts a lifetime if you're lucky, but you've got to work at it. You've got to put the work into it and you've got to make it special.